have our favorite places to eat, and maybe this is an appropriate time during a fast to talk about <laughs> our favorite places to eat. But if I asked you to yell out, you know, what are your favorite places to eat, I'm sure there would be no shortage of uh, answers, right? You got your favorite places to eat if you're going someplace fancy, right? Or you're just everyday spots. For me, my favorite place uh, to eat is a place that I call Heaven's Cafeteria. You might know it by its government name, Chipotle. (laughs) (laughs) Has anybody else tasted this delicious goodness? Now, uh, listen, I can't speak to how authentic this Mexican food is. Right? (laughs) I know we have Mexican people in this room that are just like, not quite. But it is delicious nonetheless. And my my, my kids will tell you that if my wife uh, would let me, and if she wouldn't monitor the credit card statement so closely, me and the kids would eat there literally every day. And if you know me, you know I'm a creature of habit. So I literally ordered the same thing every time I go. I'm going to walk you through my order real quick. <laughs> I walk in. I greet the person, because you've got to greet the person, whether they say hi back. Greeting this person and getting this person on your side is the key to getting as much of the good stuff. So I put you on game real quick. That's for free. So I say, hey, uh, good morning. I, I'd like a bowl, please. Can I have just a little bit of sh- the shredded lettuce in the bottom, please, just a little bit. So they gotta walk down to the other end, put just a little bit of shredded lettuce. Then I say half and half on the rice. That means half brown rice, half white rice, right? I just want a few of the pinto beans, and sometimes the pinto beans look a little dry. So when they, they look dry, then I get a few of the black beans, okay? Then they go down and they give me, I ask for the chicken, because I don't know what they're putting on that chicken, but it's heavenly, right? Then we move down. I ask for a generous portion of the mild salsa, just a tiny bit of the medium salsa, and a little bit of the hot salsa. You with me so far? Then we get down, and I ask for, don't, don't miss this, I ask for a whisper of sour cream. A whisper. Now, my wife tells me that that's not a formal unit of measurement, but they rarely get it wrong. You've never heard a whisper before, but you know that means just a little bit of sour cream, just a sprinkle of cheese, button that bad baby up, and I'm out the door. That's what I get at Chipotle. Now, if there's anything on the line, anything on the line, you can get loads of. I've seen them struggle to put the top on some burritos because people have figured out that they will give you as much of most of that stuff as you ask for. But if there's one thing on the line that they're kind of stingy with, that's the meat. That is the meat. Now, somebody would have said guacamole, but I don't even mess with guacamole like that. I'm looking at the meat. That clearly is the most precious thing on the line. Now, depending on what day you go in there, and depending on what person is serving the meat, it could really vary, right? I like it personally when there's a new, wide-eyed little kid there. He don't know how much meat. He's throwing off all the profits because he's giving large scoops of meat. And sometimes there's an old hating manager right there trying to block my blessings and say, hey, we don't give that much meat. 
but <laughs> he's blocking my blessing, man. But what's obvious is that the meat is the most precious because that's what they tend to be the most stingy with. Are you with me so far? Got some bees in here. So I think I'm never unaware of how generous or how stingy the meat guy is at Chipotle because I've come to conclude that that meat is precious, right? I think the same can be true in the spiritual life, our life with God. That is to say, it's never lost on God how generous or how stingy we are with the most precious things that we have to offer him. As God moves down that line and as we offer him all the things that we have to offer him, he knows which of those items are the most precious. And it's never lost on him how stingy or how generous you are with the most precious things. It's in the spirit of that thought that I continue a teaching series that we started last week, a series that I'm simply calling Something Precious. And the goal is to pair this series, Something Precious, with our 21 days of fasting and prayer where we've all been invited as a church community to look around the rooms of our life and to identify the things Uh, that's sort of gotten too large in our lives. Those things that are competing with God for our attention and our affection, to look around the room of our life and see where we're giving our most precious things to, our time, our energy, our talent, our treasure, and reduce our involvement in the lesser things and bring those treasures to God as an offering to him. We're focusing on what we bring to God and in what proportions we bring the most precious things, our attention, affection, treasure, our future, our hopes and dreams, and so on. It was King David that said in 2 Samuel 24, I won't bring God something that costs me nothing, which means that I must bring, if I'm going to bring something to God, I'm going to bring him something precious. I'm going to bring him something meaningful. I'm going to bring him something valuable. And last week, we kicked this series off by talking about the important spiritual discipline of prayer, bringing God our time, our attention, persistent prayer, coming to him often and regular. And today, I want to continue this series by focusing on generosity. I want to continue this series by talking about generosity, bringing God the precious gift of our treasure. Now, it's important to note that there are degrees of generosity, but I think it is safe to say that you are either a generous person or you are not. We love to live in the gray, right? We love to say, well, it depends. We love to stay in the fuzzy realm so we don't have to really deal with who we are or who we're becoming, but generally speaking, either you're a generous person or you are not. Of course, there's different categories in our life, different realms of generosity. Some might measure how generous you are with yourself. Some people are really hard on themselves, not very generous, not very kind to themselves. Some people struggle to be generous to others. And there are subcategories in that others category, friends, families, coworkers, strangers, people you like, people you don't like. And then there's God, generosity to God. Some people struggle to be generous, to God, while others are very lavish in their giving to God and the things that pertain to God. But generosity, you might know this, is one of the most important spiritual disciplines. 
And I think it's hard to have a comprehensive conversation about generosity without talking about how we see the world, without talking about our worldview. You might say, Preacher, what does generosity have to do with our worldviews? And I encountered some, uh, uh, some reading years ago uh, that said basically people tend to have one of two worldviews, particularly as it relates to generosity. Either they have an abundance worldview or they have a scarcity worldview. They either have an abundance worldview or a scarcity worldview. That is, they see the world through the lens of abundance or scarcity. To break these down, if you have a scarcity worldview, a scarcity mindset, if this is how you see the world and therefore how you approach life and living, you might conclude that there's only so much good stuff to go around, that there's a limited supply. There's only so much money to go around. There's only so much good fortune to go around. There's only so much uh, gainful employment or eligible spouses, potential spouses to go around, right? And because of this, when somebody in your world wins, it's hard for you to celebrate because you see it as a loss. Somebody got a promotion. Dang, that's one less opportunity for me, right? Oh, somebody got married. I can't rejoice. That's one less eligible person for me. And go in, rushes fear, anxiety. It forces you to hoard your resources, hoard your celebrations when other people win. You can't celebrate when other people are blessed. And it certainly stifles generosity to both God and other people. This is the scarcity worldview. Then there's the abundance worldview. Some of you live here. And in your mind, there's a fundamental belief that there is enough to go around. There's enough for you and me. There is an abundant supply. We can both win. I can celebrate your wins because mine might be right around the corner or just up the road. There's an ease to life. There's a freedom from worry. You can celebrate with people when they rejoice. You can mourn with them when they mourn. You give freely of your time, your talent, your treasure, because you know that there is an abundant supply. Now, in the life of the Christian, this is amplified because you know that you serve a generous God. We just sang about it. That his cupboards are bursting open with resource and supply. There's no end to his generosity and his care for his people. So you can be generous, giving back to God, and certainly liberal and generous in giving to others. And guess what? You may not have made this connection, but there is a deep tie to the greatest commandment to love God and love people because love can't just be locked away in here. Love is often demonstrated in what? How we give of our time. How we give of the things that are most precious to us there. You can't separate love and generosity. You can't separate love and the things that are most precious to you I'm talking about the difference between those who view life through the scarcity lens and those who view life through the abundance lens. And it's not really hard if you're honest with yourself today to locate where you are on the spectrum. And some of you, as you reckon with which one of these camps you sit in, all of a sudden it's drawing into sharper focus how you've come to relate to the things that are precious in your life and how you've come to relate to the people that are precious in your life. It's true that for, for some of us, generosity comes easy. But for others, it's hard, especially in certain realms of life. And today, I want to lean on this a little bit 
this whole notion of generosity in a message that I'm simply calling the basics, the basics of generosity. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on this subject. It goes deep and wide, but for our purposes this morning, I'm going to just spend just a few moments discussing the basics. I'm going to be in a passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Meet me there in your Bibles this morning. Uh, There are papal Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free also to engage with the scripture uh, through your mobile devices. We'll also be projecting them on the screens. Uh, I'm calling this message the basics of generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll begin. While you find it, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word or your truth, and we ask that as you so faithfully do, that you would make the book come alive to us today. There are certain subjects, Lord, that are higher stakes than others, that there are certain subjects that we need to get more than others, and I think this ranks pretty high on the list. And so, Lord, would you make this plain to us? Would you speak to us? Would you allow us to lay aside our preconceived notions about what we think generosity is or isn't? how we've assessed ourselves on the spectrum of generosity, Lord, and may we humbly submit to what you have to say to us today. Lord, would you put power in these words you've given me to preach? Would you move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light may shine through? We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Second Corinthians chapter nine. These are Apostle Paul's words the church at Corinth. I'm starting at verse 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is Paul writing in his second letter to the church at Corinth, and it's helpful to understand that while we're going to pull out some general principles here, it's helpful to understand that Paul had a specific reason for writing this particular letter to this particular church. It seems that they had agreed previously to participate in a collection of money and resource for suffering Christians in Jerusalem. And the Corinthians, though, have seemed to have lost their eagerness, uh, zeal to to, to give generously. And Paul is framing this as being embarrassing for anyone involved if fellow believers were to arrive from Macedonia to collect this gift, only to find that the Corinthians were unprepared or somehow unwilling to give what they had promised. And so to avoid that, Paul sends Titus ahead of him to help get these guys ready to give the gift that they had promised. And while that's the specific setting and the specific occasion of these words from Paul, I have found that this is generally really helpful guiding points and wisdom on the subject of generosity in general. I'll say it again, while this is specifically written 
under a certain context, I believe that this is good, helpful, general wisdom for those of us wishing to grow in the area of generosity. And because of that, I want to pull out four things that I believe are in this text here that highlight the basics of generosity. The first is that Paul makes it clear that the seed comes from God. That the seed comes from God. And I don't know how many of you are like me, but I'm not, I, 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 I literally have black thumbs. <laughs> I don't have green ones. They don't put me around plants because I don't do really well with them, so I don't really understand farming and all that stuff. But what I do know is that you put the seed in the ground, and you tend to get more out of the ground than the small, tiny seed that you put in the ground. I mean, you can fact check me on that. You can Google that, but I think that'll check out, right? But it's helpful to note, and some of us maybe have never considered where the seed comes from to begin with. And so there's a natural and spiritual reality to this, that you walk outside and you see all manners of trees and produce and flowers and all of that stuff, but you may have never stopped to think, I wonder who planted that here? You may have never even stopped to go back even further than that and say, where did the original seed come from to get the first plant where the subsequent seed comes from? My mind works like that. Like, where did the first seed come from? Well, you come to the right place. In the Christian reality, the answer isn't hard to come up with. The seed comes from God. This is a really helpful, necessary starting point if we're talking about generosity. This is so fundamental. Paul says as much in verse 10, now he who supplies the seed. Who supplies the seed? I'll pay attention this morning. Seed to the sore and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Who will supply the seed? Home Depot? Now, that's where you can go get the seed from, but it comes from God. And if you can remember that the seed comes from God anyway, then you'll be halfway down the road when coming to a helpful place when it comes to generosity. If you can understand and remember, as all the cash is flowing through your hands, as all the things precious come into your possession, that God has loaned that seed to you to manage on his behalf. The Bible, in many places, referred to us as stewards. Stewards of what? Stewards of the good things that God has given us. And so that money in your pocket right now, that God just letting you hold that. The money in your bank account, your retirement accounts, that's God's money. That car you pulled up in, that's not your car. God just loaned that car to you. In fact, if somebody hits your car on the way home, you should say, Lord, look what they did to your car. <laughs> that is all his. The scriptures tell us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And the Lord has simply given me the precious things in my life. Like gainful employment. Like my beautiful wife and family. Everything good that I have, the Lord has given it to me. He supplies seed 
to the sower. Now, consider this. You, you, you don't just like keep jars of seeds in your house. If you do, it's your prerogative, but that's strange. Because seeds are meant to be what? They're meant to be planted. Seeds are meant to be planted, but seed comes from God. And so God will increase your store of seed and enlarge your harvest of righteousness. I had to look that up. I've engaged with this passage many times, but somehow harvest of righteousness stood out. And what I uncover is that harvest isn't just like more money coming your way when you sow the seed or more money or good stuff coming your way when you sow that resource, but a harvest of righteousness that literally means God's general character growing in your life. And so there's something about when we sow seeds of generosity to God and to others and to the purposes and to the people and to the things that God loves and God's behind, not only does it bless those people and those initiatives, but it grows a harvest of righteousness in us. Literally, God's character is growing within us. And some of us are stuck on the road to generosity because we haven't come to grips with the fact that the seed comes from God. The seed belongs to him anyway, but that is square one. Amen? I could spend more time there, but I won't. The second thing Paul points out is that generosity cannot be forced. Generosity cannot be forced. And some of you, there's some dissonance between those words that doesn't quite land well, doesn't ring true to you because you have been in situations where you have been forced to be generous, manipulated into uh, being generous, coerced into being generous. But I think you've misunderstood the difference between being generous and giving. You can most certainly be forced to give manipulated into giving, strong-armed into giving. You can't be forced to give. We have a name for it. We call it robbery. Generally, it's a crime to force somebody to give. And some of you have been on the business end of that unlawful behavior. You've been stuck up or robbed. It's a crime. But we're talking about generosity here. And my Bible tells me that you cannot be forced to be generous. And I think it's worth camping out here because some of you have the disposition that you have toward giving because you are a churched person. And you've been around church a long time and you've seen a lot of foolishness from people who claim to, 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 to operate on God's behalf. I've been in church my whole life, and trust me, I've seen the foolery. And it almost makes me want to be unduly like sensitive about talking about generosity because I know, because I've talked to many people over the years, that they're dealing with a lot of church hurt, and some have drifted away from the faith because of how uh, preachers and pastors have stewarded the giving moments in churches, which informs how we do giving here. Giving is important, that's why we're talking about it. But how we talk about it is super important. How it, we talk about it and how we approach the subject is informed by a lot of the foolishness that I've seen. 
I wish I had enough time to tell you how I've been in meetings where people have been giving prophecies based on how much money they can give. Some of you have been in meetings like this. I have a word for everybody who's got a $10,000 seat. Get down here real quick, right? And, and the people with $10,000, they get really lavish words, individual words. They get slain in the spirit. The Lord really loves that particular dollar amount. But the old slick preacher knows that there's more money in the room. So he says, uh, some, somebody's got a $500 seat, $500 people. You know what I've noticed? They get a word, but it's not as nice as the $10,000 folks. And then they just go on down the line and, and whoever, if you got anything else, come on up and we'll just bless you real quick and you get back to your seat. You see what I'm saying? Does God seem to be in that? And that's just, that doesn't even scratch the surface. And Paul says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. That's really clarifying when it comes to generosity. Because if somebody's manipulating you, if somebody's forcing you, if somebody is shaming you, then it's not God. Now, oftentimes you'll be challenged to give because we don't naturally want to do it. After all, we're talking about a discipline. But if it's manipulation, if it's coercion, if it's forceful, if it's shaming, it is not from the Father. Now, this is super interesting, right? Because this section of scripture has sparked intense debate about the subject of giving in general, and in particular about the practice of tithing in particular. Some of you say, well, what is a tithe? Tithing is a systematic practice of giving. It flows from scripture. It's structured. It's planned. It flows from Leviticus chapter 27. In the law, it says, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belong to the Lord and must be set apart as holy. This was the law given to God's people. And so for thousands and thousands of years, God's people has used, have used this tithe as the floor and not the ceiling of a systematic way to give to God. You have to understand they're talking about livestock and produce here because in that day currency was not dollars and cents so much it was produce things that came from the ground livestock and things like that in our day we're dealing with money and so our tithes typically is understood as a tenth of what we have our first fruits as the scriptures say so you get your money before uncle sam touches it before them grubby little kids touch it before Netflix and Hulu and all the Hulus come grabbing at your coins, we say, Lord, 10% of this is yours. It's a systematic way to give. It is very, very helpful. And there's been rigorous debate when people encounter Paul's words that says, give whatever you decided in your heart. Somebody said, well, what about the tithe, though? You say, preacher, I know there's rigorous debate on this subject, but pastor, what do you say? What do you think about the tithe? And my answer is yes. <laughs> my answer is uh-huh. Pers I personally believe that this practice of tithing is good. It's a helpful practice. It's rooted in scripture, and it is helpful. It's a helpful and a systematic way to program meaningful, sacrificial 
regular generosity into a rhythm of how I steward one of my most precious resources, my money. And I say one of my pre- most precious resources because it's not my most precious resource. It might be one of your most precious, but it's not my, my, my most precious resource as a husband and as a pastor and as a father of all these kids. It is my time. Second to that might be my money. It's a helpful systematic way to meaningfully program generosity, sacrificial generosity into my life. When I tell you it's automatic, it's automatic. I don't have to think about it. When it comes to our collective income from our two full-time jobs, and we each have a collection of little side hustles that like bring in extra income, All I need to figure out what I'm giving to God on a minimum basis is a calculator because this 10% helps me figure it out in a systematic way. Whether we're in a season of life where the money is flowing in and it's abundant and we're being surprised by God's generosity and checks in the mail, where'd this check come from? Oh, grandma sent me something. My uncle sent me something. Oh, somebody died and blessed me with something. Or a season of scarcity and leanness It don't matter. It's not mine. It's not a discussion. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what we do. And it is the floor of our giving to God and not the ceiling. And this started as a little boy. I remember going to church, sitting in rows just like you, and when it's time to give, my dad would pass us. It was seven of us sitting on the lawn. We took up the whole row. Passed us down a dollar. Passed that down. He wanted us to get in the habit of giving when it was time to give. And when we started to get an allowance and when we would get gifts from family members and when we got our little jobs and our little hustles, he would always say, give God his, man. Give God his. In fact, come in here and put it on the dresser. I'll hold it to you. Hold it for you. Till we get to church. The tithe. However, somebody say however. There are people that I respect. That I respect. Folk who are smarter than me that look at the scripture and view the tithe as an Old Testament reality and they believe that we aren't obligated to give at least a tenth of our income to God. People exist, people in this room, people I like, love, and respect. And while I personally choose to structure my life and finances differently, I believe that their position is a respectable argument. And if your conscience is clear before the Lord, I say, God bless you. If your conscience is clear before the Lord, I say, God bless you, I really do. Because the point of all we're talking about is moving us away from some legalistic adherence to some rule or some percentage, and it's more about getting you to a place of willful, systematic, sacrificial, sacrificial, sacrificial bringing to God of something precious. Because it's not yours anyway. 
And if I loan you $100 to just hold for me, and I say, you can spend, yeah, you can have some fun with that. And I come back, you say, my man, can I get 10 of that back? And you got a problem. You didn't understand our arrangement to begin with. You understand what I'm saying? So we're not trying to be legalistic about this. We're trying to get you a place of willful, sacrificial, systematic, generous giving. And, and as quiet as it's kept, it may look like, oftentimes, it's more than 10%. It's more than 10%. And for some of you, and in perhaps certain seasons of your life, there is grace for it to be much less than 10%. See, the slick preachers don't like that. They don't like giving you a little bit of uh, space to talk to, I don't know, God about it. Check in with the Holy Spirit about how you to steward his resource. But generosity shouldn't be forced, right? Third thing is that generosity is cheerful. It's cheerful. Now, some of you, there's a huge disconnect between parting with your money and cheerfulness. Some of you, grimace comes over your face just at the thought of giving, parting with your money, but it's right here in the scripture, cheerfulness. So all of a sudden, we're not just talking about the of giving, we're talking about generosity, which involves a posture of heart and spirit, okay? Giving is, I'm mechanically like giving away stuff so that it doesn't belong to me, it just robotically goes to the person who I'm bestowing it to. That's giving. Generosity involves the act of bestowing something precious, but also the posture. And that's why we can't talk about Generosity without talking about the disposition in which you give it. Amen? Generosity is cheerful. Remember earlier we talked about the harvest of righteousness? That's what grows in you. That's not the material resource that comes back to you once you give, but that is, the, that is what grows on the inside of you as you lean toward the spiritual practices the spiritual discipline of giving God's character, which is general, excuse me, which is generous. His default character is to be generous, lavish, in giving love and resource and things that are precious. That grows within us as we lean toward the discipline, which means that you might start out grumpy. And maybe the first 10 years you'll be grumpy about giving it. Maybe halfway through that 11th year, maybe a smile might come on this side of your mouth as you give your treasure because giving is cheerful. Each of you, Paul says, should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. Now, let me make something clear. Me personally, I don't mind if you give the money grumpily. You can come up here and you can slam that pledge card down and you can grimace all the way back to your seat. You know what I'm going to say? God bless you. Because the bank, you know, when we pay that mortgage every month, they don't ask us then that they give this with a smile because we don't take grumpy money now. They don't care. The utility companies, they don't care. The poor we serve, they don't care. 
Our, ministry, our, our missions partners, they, they don't ask us if you're smiling when you gave it. So I don't really care that much, but God cares. It matters to God. It, it matters to God. And if you've, if you've ever been on the receiving end of, uh, of somebody who is grumpily giving you something, you might take it, especially if you need it. But it don't feel right, do it. Somebody said, here, take it. I didn't want to give it to you. You feel some type of way about it. You go, There's some dissonance between the, 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 the act of being given something and the, the grumpy nature in which it's presented to you. It just don't feel right. There's a disconnect, right? And so God expects his people to give cheerfully. That's why somebody can't make you give. That's why folks aren't supposed to twist your arm and be manipulating you and coercing you and shaming you into giving because there's not cheerfulness, there's not joy. There's not a deep spiritual satisfaction connected to those types of behaviors. But when you understand that the seed is his, when you understand that what he's given you is on loan to steward, when you sow it back to him, you understand this deep understanding like this is God's anyway. He's let me hold on to this. Plus, I'm putting this seed into the richest possible soil imaginable. And the laws of reciprocity, both naturally and spiritual, means that I'm going to get way more out the ground than I put in. There's a cheerfulness that comes along with it. Not to mention, if you are spiritually aware enough to remember what it's like to be on the receiving end of a gift when you need it. See, some of us, our memories are too short. I believe the, the Lord would say, you know, you've been given too much in life to be as stingy as you are. You, you've been given too much in life to hold on to the dollar so tightly. And the Lord would just walk you through your life where you didn't have much and that neighbor made sure that you and your family ate. Or you didn't have something and somebody bought you a coat or you went down to that church and you didn't have two nickels to rub together, rub together and that church community surrounded you in your season. You done got a job. You done moved into a nice community and you forgot what it used to feel like to be on the receiving end of somebody's benevolence. I haven't forgotten all the folks that God has used to pour into my life. And I believe that that's, well, through growing up not having much and being surrounded growing up by people with so much need and seeing the church respond, I, I, I like to give cheerfully because I'd rather be on this end than on that end. I'd rather be the person that God is using to bring resource to the kingdom, be a blessing to somebody else than the person standing in line needing the resource. And when I think about where I've come from and who and how God used others to bless me, I get happy at the opportunity to sow towards somebody else. It's quiet in this church today. Giving is cheerful. So I want to see you smiling when you give. Smiling when you turn in them pledge cards because God loves a cheerful giver. Last one, God will bless generosity. God will bless generosity. 
Now, this isn't the most important aspect of it, but it is an important aspect of it. Nonetheless, there's promises all throughout Scripture that God will bless those who are generous. Now, I need to tread carefully uh, here because it's easy to get wacky about this part of Scripture. Well-meaning preachers, as well as the slickest ones, have taken to promising people things about giving that God doesn't promise in his word. God is not a vending machine. There's no such description in Scripture. That if you put a dollar in, God's going to give you ten out. That somebody needs to come and give because your ship's coming in. You're, you're right around the corner. It's your season. It can't be that many people's seasons. I'm sorry. In fact, you never hear me talk like that because I don't know what season you're in. And dare I give you some false hope from heaven? Because this, ain't, this don't work like that. It doesn't work like that. But God does promise blessing for those who sow. It's the law of reciprocity. And I don't know how God's going to give it back to you. I don't know. And if I had my pick, Lord, just give me cash. Just cash. <laughs> Hundreds, preferably, if you got them. But I don't know how God's going to give it back to me. But we serve a God who is good, incorruptibly good, can't be bought, can't be manipulated. And his vantage is the best seat in the house. And so you think you need money, you think you need a better job, but you haven't even thought to ask for peace. You haven't considered all the zillions of ways that a creative God can, can, can pay you back. You're sitting in your car mad because you're stuck in traffic and you don't know what the Lord by his providence and his goodness has kept you from. You better thank him. protecting my kids. I can't see them when they leave. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know who's plotting against them, Lord. You can pay me back by looking after them. You can give me peace when I lay my head on the pillow. Peace in my house. Peace in my marriage. Strength for my bones. The community of people who love me. There's a zillion ways that God can bestow blessing. You don't get to tell him because you're not as smart as him. And I said last week that God gives us when we pray, not what we ask for, but what we would ask for if we knew what he knew. And so so many of us are disappointed with God because somebody told you that if you gave some money, you're going to get some money. But the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And he promises, he says, all things at all times, you will have what you need. You said, but pastor, I don't have the money I want. Well, maybe you don't need that money. Some of you, money is what got you in the state you're in. Is this making any sense to anybody? He said, preacher, I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I don't have this, I don't have this. Well, you probably, 
put some things on the need list that belong in the want category. I think that's fair. Now, we're situated in a culture, you have to understand this, and I'm over my time. You gotta understand that we're situated in a culture that every culture has uh, what it would call basic needs. And I just don't think those lists square with scripture. Paul says, even if I die, it's gonna be all right. He said, but the cancer is ravaging my body. Don't God need to take this away from me because I need to live, do you? Now we're talking about graduate level understanding of how God works. And it takes a deep spiritual maturity to come to the place where you say, if I don't have it, I don't need it. If I don't, if I don't have it, I don't live. It's graduate level faith. But Lord, even if, even if I lose my life, scriptures say what? Not even death can separate me. And I wonder if you would get that in your bones, you might look at life differently. You would certainly look at generosity and this spiritual reciprocity differently because God is incorruptibly good. He's got the best seat in the house. He's working in ways that we can't even perceive. But more is gonna come out of the ground than what I put there. God will bless generosity. How do I put this all together? I'm trying to do this quickly, and band, you can make your way up. See, comes from God. Giving can't be forced. Generosity must be cheerful, and God blesses generosity. And so, in general, we think of giving as aimed at two directions, God and people. It seems to be the most confusion about how to give to God. Because people typically give to God through causes like ours, organizations like ours, our, your local church. And you might wonder, where does my money go when I give it to the SSV? That's a really great question. It's a helpful question to ask. And I might tell you that if you ask a church where their money goes, where the money goes when they give it, and, and they start stammering and stuttering and they don't have an answer, run. Okay? Because we believe that if we can ask you to sow faithfully into what we do, we should be able to open the books to you so that you can see where the money goes. And when you give faithfully to this church, you should know that your money is necessary for funding church life. All the aspects of our ministry, the ones that seem super spiritual and the ones that are just sort of keeping the lights on, they help us do what we came here to do. Operational things like this building, mortgages, phone, gas, water, insurance, accounting, bookkeeping, snow removal, maintenance repair. Your money goes to staff salaries, right? And keeping, helping these dedicated people manage this church and steward the help of the volunteers. It goes to gear and equipment and supplies, tech, video, live stream, worship instruments, hospitalities, kids supplies, student ministry supplies, office supplies. But a tithe of every nickel that you give goes out to missions. 
10% of everything that we bring in, we encourage you to give systematically, we give systematically, goes abroad to Puerto Rico, locally here to Restoration Ministries, and a percentage of that goes to our uh, denomination to support the, um, the mission of the Vineyard USA. Portion of your gift goes to those in need in our community, in our church community, and outside of the walls of this church. And so, this is really important to us to be good stewards of what God has given us through your generosity. And there is a person on staff whose job is to keep track of every nickel, to chase down every receipt, and everybody who spends money on behalf of this church is accountable to our uh, our, our cost accounting system because this is a public trust that we steward. You understand what I'm saying? And outside of all of that, there will be special things that we do, like this building campaign, where there will be special designations that are above and beyond your regular giving, where we will ask you to give toward a special initiative or a special cause, and that one example is our even more than we can imagine campaign. And so all these things are really, really important. And you and your family call this church home. If you and your family call this church home, this is an appropriate place. I would say good soil where in which you bring your seed and you plant it into the ground. And all the principles and all the general things that we talked about today about giving and generosity apply. The seed belongs to God anyway. He wants you to give it cheerfully and without coercion and being forced. But God promises an abundant harvest for those who are generous. You think of generosity in this way, strategic, systematic, sacrificial, but you'll be willing to trust God with your something precious. Put him to the test. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for this beautiful community of people. I thank you that I serve a, in a generous church, that don't have to be prodded, coerced. But Lord, I know we're all on a, a learning journey toward being more like you. And so as we trust you with our resource, we pray that that harvest of righteousness, that godly character, will grow within us. And as we put you to the test, you will prove yourself to be faithful and generous and kind and true to your word. For those of us who view life scarcely and for those of us who've been burned by the church and burned by people we've tried to help and be generous to. Lord, would you help us turn a new page today? Would you release the gift of faith so that we might trust you with our something precious? Come Holy Spirit, do your work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.